chapter 1, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, expressing his encouragement to them. Hey, good Christians, you're doing well. Your faith is serving you well. God is good. I've seen it and heard about it from people about you. But he's also writing to them for a very specific reason. He wants them to know that he's coming, but he also wants to give them apostolic teachings. He wants to share with them the word that God has given to him so that they may know what it looks like to pursue their faith in a Christian lifestyle. And so he begins to write to them, not only just with encouragement, but out of a desire to teach them God's word. And so he introduces himself and shares about truths of life. And after the introduction, he proclaims clearly to them that the gospel is not something to be ashamed of, but something to be excited about because it brings salvation. Following this, though, Paul spends the next three chapters just about expressing man's need for God's righteousness. He explains the unrighteousness of the Gentiles, the Jews, and all of mankind. The Gentiles reject God, and they were given over to their own dishonorable passions. The Jews failed to obey the teachings that God had laid out for them. And even in those teachings, they missed out of the knowledge and truth of God. Then Paul, at the end of that, declares very clearly and concisely, In Romans 3.23, that all, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. In the midst of Paul, in the midst of this, Paul points out man's failure, but in that failure, he is constantly pointing to God's own righteousness and inviting the Roman church into that relationship. See, God has made himself known to the world, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, And in our own desires and the desires of people, we have denied God, but yet God still demands righteousness to be upheld. upheld. God is not only righteous, though. He also demands perfect justice. Paul says in Romans 2, chapter 2, verse 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Sin, or the disobedience towards God, as a just punishment. But Paul declares very clearly that through Christ's death, we are made righteous and are found justified in God's eyes. Paul lays out in chapter 4 that we are justified. We are not held to all of our sins because of Christ's death and our faith has brought us justification. He points out that all throughout history from From Adam all the way up to where Paul is talking now, God has brought justification through the faith of his people. And so this brings us to chapter 5. In our transition, and we, as Joe often states, and any time you read the Bible, you get to the word therefore, and you always have to ask, what's it there for? So we read again, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory 
of God. So what's it there for? Why do we now have a transition? Why is Paul declaring something new to us? I want to draw a little picture in your mind. I want you to imagine, I do this oftentimes with the students, uh, because we want to understand the context in which Paul is writing these things. So I want you to picture yourself as as a Jew in Rome receiving this letter. Or a Gentile, if, you're, if you've come along in the church. So I want you to imagine that. I want you to imagine that you've received this letter, and you start writing, reading it, and you're like, all right, Paul, one of the apostles, Jesus taught him, he's really encouraging, this is going good. And then all of a sudden that stops, and he's like, by the way, people fail and sin and have separated themselves far from God, and ultimately, in, in using a very common word, people suck. And so for like, you're reading this letter, and for several chapters, you're like, man, I'm really awful. I've really messed up. I've really fallen short of God. And so if we stopped reading there, because I imagine that maybe some people do. They start reading Romans because Romans is one of those books that, that is so essential. I went to college and it was required of every student. Every student. It was a core class. Every student at Crown College in St. Bonifacius, Minnesota had to study the book of Romans. That's how important it was. But if we stop there, we miss out on what God is doing and what Paul is saying. But I get this question a lot as a pastor and maybe... You have heard it in in your faith walk. And it's a series of questions that boils down to basically the same thing. And they start asking questions like this. If you know this, if you know this separation that you see in Romans at the beginning, if you know that God has turned people over to their dishonorable passions, and if you know that people can read the Scriptures and completely miss God, if you know these things, if you see the world, if you look out your window or read the news or just sometimes see your neighbors and you see all these terrible things, how can you, as a person that even declares that you're not sinless in this life, how can you walk with Jesus and have hope? There's so much crushing despair in our world, and how can you have hope in the midst of that? And I imagine that as you read the first three chapters, and maybe you experienced that, or maybe the very first time you read Romans you experienced that, where you have some overwhelming, crushing despair that you're like, man, this is bad. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's bad stuff right there. That's hard to to realize. How can I have faith needed in Christ's death and resurrection when we see in Scripture the depravity of man? Or I look at my own life and see, okay, man, I'm messed up. So how can I have hope? See, these, in these moments, I often think about things in my own life. I get asked that question. I get asked that question of, how do I get up every day and serve Jesus knowing what I know about myself? I think about the struggles I have in walking with God, the struggles I face. And I want to share a story with you. Some of you may have heard this. Some of you may, may have not uh, when I graduated college, we, I was on internship at a church, and we served in that church for a long time. 
Uh, but in the midst of that, we were seeking God's calling to a church. We were looking for a place where God would call me to minister. And uh, it was a long process. It was a hard, hard process. And so we would write to churches, and we would talk with pastors, and we would meet with them, and we'd be encouraged, and we would love what the church is doing, and they'd con- call me and be like, you're the, one of our last two candidates, and, you know, and we'd get to the point of, okay, then no, or the one church that was like, you're one of our last three candidates, and then they like emailed me like nine months later uh, saying we decided not to hire someone. I was defeated. Like, I was at a point in my walk with God was like, how much am I messing up? How much am I missing you? What am I doing? What is going on in the midst of all of these things? There came a time at one point where I sat down with Jenny and I began to talk and I began to share and I said, I think I'm done. Like, not done with God, not done with Jesus, but I'm done seeking out ministry. Like, I just want to be done. You know, I, and I, you, I read a book, and I wanted to be encouraged by it, and it was about a, it was a pastor who had done amazing things for God. And he's like, I, it took me seven years to find my first church. And I was like, I can't do that. I was being burnt out and burnt up. And I remember God just being like, okay, we'll just wait. As we prayed, and as we thought about it, and it was processed, and man, I'm so glad I did. Because of what I've got to experience in serving God, not just here, but in general, has been amazing. And I'm grateful that I get to do it alongside of you. I can have hope in what I'm doing because of what Paul is addressing here in chapter 5. Therefore, we have been justified. Therefore, we have been justified. Remember, this is our legal term. They use this in legal documents and so on. It's, it's a term that means a one-time effect. It's done. It's over with. I am justified through my faith in Jesus Christ. As Christ hung on that cross, my sins, my death, my dishonorable passions hung there with Him. I was once and for all justified by my faith in Christ, death. And the promises came true through his resurrection. And so we can have hope since now we see that our faith is justified, as Paul declares. As he demonstrated in discussing Abraham, our faith brings us justification in what Christ has done. So if you're sitting there today and you're thinking about all the sins that you've committed or all the the great divide between you and God, and you say, there is no way I can ever get there, and the answer is no, not on your own. But every sin ever committed by anyone can be justified because God demands justice. And what that means is there is a penalty for our sin, and someone has to pay it. And our faith in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection means that He pays that price for us. And so because Jesus pays that price for us, we get something out of that beyond salvation. We get what Paul says here. We have peace with God because of Jesus. See, this word peace is important. Now, if you're a parent, you sometimes want 
peace and quiet. All right? I can imagine because I also sometimes want peace and quiet. Uh, Or maybe you're in an argument with someone. Maybe right now you're in an argument with someone and you want a peaceful resolution. As you look out upon your life and see how busy you are and how much life is stressing you out and pulling you around, you might think, I want peaceful rest. See, I believe that peace, peace is often a state of mind, a sense of calm internally or serenity, and I think that's true. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is not talking about some inward peace with God. Paul is talking about an outward, objective word that is our true reality when we have faith in Jesus and His death and His resurrection. God has declared Himself to be at war with every human being because of man's sinful rebellion. Now, I want you to truly think about that. Because maybe you've never heard that. And I want you to think about if God is at war with man because of their sinful rebellion. So here, let me draw you a picture. Let's go all the way back to the garden. Adam and Eve sin. What's God do after he has a long talk with them? Uh, But after that, what's he do? He doesn't tell them to leave. He puts them outside of the garden, outside of his presence. But it doesn't end there. God doesn't just stick them outside of the garden. What's he do? He puts a cherubim, an angel, standing in front of the gate that can see in all directions at all times, and he gives him a giant flaming sword so that man cannot enter back into the garden. And you think, well, maybe God doesn't mean that much or care that much about sin. Or, but let me show you why God means business about sin and why it's such a big deal. I want you to think about some of the story of God's people and what they did. He sent snakes into their midst. He sent earthquakes to swallow them up. He sent godless nations into Israel to destroy them, to remind them of who he is and what their sin is doing. God cares about what's going on in our hearts. See, here's the important part of that. All right, so maybe now you're back to chapter 3 and you're terrified again because God is just. But here's the important part. God doesn't stop there with Adam and Eve. He doesn't just set them outside of the garden. He's like, good luck, try to do life. Because if that was the case, we are in big trouble. No, God sets them outside the garden and first he offers up the very first sacrifice ever. He kills an animal to clothe them. A sacrifice needed for Adam and Eve. And then he sets up a system for them. See, he didn't design the law for the Jews to push them away. He designed it for them to see their need for God's holiness. The need for who God was and what he was doing. He did not let mankind just follow their own passions because he was at war with them, but because he wanted us to see the truth in the midst of the war. God had planned a way from the beginning for us to have true peace. Paul says this in Colossians 1, verses 21 and 22. He says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, 
separated in God with hostile intent towards him, doing evil deeds, he, that person, us, was now reconciled in his body and flesh by his death in order to present your body blameless and above reproach. See, while we were at war with God, he had the whole time been offering a peace treaty. Faith in what he was doing. Faith now in Jesus Christ. See, we've hit our point in Romans where I was reading this and like I was thinking about this and processing this and like the the hairs in my arms started to stand up and I started to get goosebumps because what God is doing here is an exciting thing and it's something Paul is switching to like this giant encouragement. All right, we have some like depressing stuff at the beginning of Romans and we see why our faith matters and why it's important and why the forefathers can be justified in their faith and now he's like, here's what I want you to see. Not only are you justified, but you're at peace with God. And because of Christ, we know of peace with God. And with that peace, we get something else. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So now, we have access through Christ to God. See, where there was once a flaming sword keeping us out, a pit of death at the end of life, or an uncleanliness of the people, we now have access to God. Now this is, we're going to go back. Remember, we're imagining that we're reading this letter? All right, I want you to imagine that you are a Jew. All right, you're an Old Testament Jew. You grew up in this. You believe in Christ. You're following Christ. You have faith in Christ. And you're reading this, and Paul's like, you now have access to God through Christ. And you're like, no way. No way. And, and here's why. Let's remember the system in which the Jews got access to Christ, or to God. All right, in order to enter into God's grace, once a year, the high priest would offer up sacrifices to go into the Holy of Holies for all of Israel, and he would enter into the Holy of Holies, but only for moments. Because of the glory and grace of God was too much. But you're sitting there reading this, and Paul clearly states that not only do we get peace with God because of our justified nature now, because of what Christ has done, we actually get full access to God's glory. Not just the high priest, not just for mere moments, but for our lives. Peace has come through faith. And through our faith, Christ has given us unlimited access to God. See, this isn't just any grace or any glory. This is, this is Paul talking about the future to come. They were kicked out of the garden because they could not, a sinner could not dwell in the perfection and holiness of God. I mean, what happened when they just touched stuff that God touched when they were unclean? They died. God had to separate us for our own good. We were at war with God, but through Jesus, we've been offered peace and access. And what he's talking about is one day, one day we will sit in God's glory and His grace. We will be up in heaven 
enjoying it. I want you to imagine this because Moses, he got to see God's glory. But this is how he got to see God's glory. God was, God told Moses to go hide in a crack of the mountain and God put his hand there and basically walked by and Moses got to see just like a little tiny trail of his glory at the end. And because of that, he comes down the mountain and his face is shining. Just that little bit of God's glory scared people. How amazing is our God that just a tiny bit of his presence is terrifying to people that are sinning. Like how awesome is that for us that we now through justification of Christ's death and resurrection because of our faith in that, not only do we have peace, but we have access to God's future glory. How amazing is that? See, the thing is, Paul doesn't stop there though. Because I think oftentimes we can start thinking about heaven and we can see its glory and its beauty and the being in the presence of God and we can think about the fact that Jesus is going there or ha- has gone there and he's preparing a place for us and we get excited and then we turn around and we're like, man, my life still sucks. Like I think that's a very true reality of Christians. So as we're justified, as we have peace, as we gain access as we have complete hope in seeing God's glory, Paul doesn't just stop there. He begins to talk about here and now, and he says this. I'm going to read 3 and 4 here. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So he switches to the here and now. And he calls us to rejoice in our sufferings. You know, as Christians, we are on the other side of the first few few chapters in Romans. If you have faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, we are standing on the outside looking in at the world and seeing that in reality. But we're also living in the midst of it. Christ calls us to be be in the world, but not the world. And so as we're standing here and we're seeing what's going on in the world and we're thinking about our loved ones and the pain that goes on in our lives, Paul stands here and he says, I want you to rejoice. I want you to rejoice in your sufferings. I want you to rejoice. Now how many of you are like, yeah, I totally rejoice in my sufferings. Like I, I can imagine Josiah just in his like little tiny sufferings of like, scratching himself. It's like on the floor crying. Uh, I usually try to act like I didn't see it uh, because then he does, he's like, I guess I'm okay. Uh, but I imagine our bigger is you, we go in life and we deal with all kinds of things and things happen to us and Paul's like, hey, I want you to rejoice in them. See, I don't think I don't think that's an easy thing to do. But I do want to say this, and I want to be fully honest with you. I, I do this more and more than I ever imagined I would. Like as I walk with Christ, as I spend time in scriptures, as I spend time uh, in prayer, as I spend time with other people in fellowship, as I do all these things, I realize and I begin to think about all the sufferings that go on in my life, and I begin to actually celebrate, not because of the midst of the suffering or what is taking place, but what God is doing in it. 
Like, I am so thankful to God that for four years, my wife and I went through, like, some terrible situations. Four years ago, or back then, was I excited about it? No. But there are times where we are called, and Paul is calling us to rejoice. And this isn't talking about just general sufferings, all right? This isn't talking about Josiah nicking his foot on the door and getting scratched. This is talking about the sufferings we face as believers of, of Jesus. That as you try to live a Christian life, as you go out and evangelize and share the gospel and try to live a way that's contradictory to the rest of the world, it's talking about those sufferings. It's talking in the midst of those situations to rejoice. And a part of that is because Paul wants us to understand that there is great stuff going on. The fact that you have to deny yourself of things or do things that people think are crazy. When I told people I wanted, I felt like God called me to a pastor, my family, the first question they asked, how much money does that do? Can you survive on that? And I was like, I don't know. That's not, God didn't tell me any of that. He just said, go do it. All right, and so we, we are tasked with going out and living a certain way that's separate from the rest of the world. And Paul says there's going to be suffering. Right? He said there's, not only is there going to be suffering, but he expects us to rejoice. So then why should we rejoice in it? Right? Why should we rejoice in our suffering? Because a guarantee in the midst of it, not often are we ever thinking about that. The word suffering here is the word used for pressure. All right? The same pressure or process is if you were thinking about living in Rome that they used to crush olives to make olive oil or grapes to make wine. We're going to go modern day, coal to make diamonds. All right, this pressure that comes with following Jesus. So as we, as we follow our train of thought this morning, all right, track with me, continue. We've been justified only because of our faith in Christ and what He has done. And that faith has brought us peace to God that allows us to have access to God's glorious grace now and in the future. All right, we have hope for the future. But Paul calls us now to rejoice as we walk with Christ. Rejoice in the sufferings that we have. So how can that be? How can it be that Paul wants us to celebrate and rejoice in those things? Sometimes maybe. Sometimes when we know the outcome is a good thing. One of the things that, as a pastor, that I've done a few weddings and a few funerals, and I always sit down with the families, and my one thing to them is, I, I don't care what necessarily what you want me to say, uh, if you want me to talk about something specifically in Scripture or anything like that, but I get to share the Gospel. I get to talk about faith in Jesus Christ. That's all I care about. And I don't care if you, you know, if you want to get married and dress up weird, uh, I care about sharing the gospel. All right? I care about presenting Jesus to, to the people that are there. Because there's hope in celebration and suffering. See, Paul states that we should rejoice in our suffering because it produces endurance. All right? He's going to basically walk us through life. All right? Through 
through our suffering process and why we should do it. So suffering, Paul says, produces endurance. All right, if you like to write in your Bible or maybe your translation actually says this, you can change that word endurance to patience. Patience. All right, you can go back to being a parent. Are you producing patience? I think that's a big part of being a parent. Uh, <clears throat> so Paul calls us to rejoice in our suffering because that suffering leads to endurance or patience. The ability that in the midst of whatever situation we are suffering in or future ones or whatever is going on in life or how we're dealing with people as we go out and share God's good news that we can have patience. That we can learn to be slow to speak and caring and loving because we start to develop this patience for people. There's a desire to me and I think partially as a pastor I'm sometimes required to do this as I see people living in sin, I want to say, look at that sin you're in. But sometimes we develop patience in the midst of walking with Christ, and that patience leads us to share love and the gospel with them as we point out their sin, rather than just saying, you're doing it wrong. And so Paul says, rejoice in your suffering because your suffering will begin to give you patience with people with yourself with God as you pray over and over again God what are you calling me to do and why aren't we doing it you begin to develop patience and that endurance or patience produces character now the Greek word I'm not going to give it to you because I can't pronounce English words let alone Greek ones uh, but the Greek word here means proof so if you want, you like to write in your Bible, you can write next to character proof. Paul is telling us that our suffering will lead to endurance, and our endurance will produce proof. Proof of what? Here's, the, here's, here's what Paul is tracking with us. Proof of our saving faith. Like as we walk as the Christian life, as we go through suffering, we will begin to see proof of our faith. In the book of James, again, James in chapter <clears throat> excuse me, 1, uh, verse 12, he said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. To character is a declaration to ourselves, to those around us, that even though whatever trial in life, whatever situation you are currently going through, wherever you're at, whatever you're dealing with, it says to you and the people around you that you are with God. See, we, Paul talks about this fruit right, in Galatians chapter 5, this fruit that we will begin to produce as we walk with Christians, our proof of who we are. So patience is one of those things. And we begin to see those coming out in our life. And he's saying, your character is going to begin to change. I mean, think about before you started your relationship with Jesus, whether it was when you were a little kid or a teenager or an adult or whenever it was. Paul's saying you can see vivid and complete change. What Christ has done 
and allowed us into access of God's glory has changed us. And so we begin to proof that we are with God and we begin to see the fruit played out in our lives. See this hope that all sufferings you have went, have went through because of your faith. The sacrifices that you and your family have made because of it. The persecution, the disrespect, the physical and spiritual suffering that has taken place. It will produce proof of your faith. It will show you that you are truly in a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. See, our hope that all of this produces should be rejoiced and celebrated. So we, we, we walk to this line, so we have sufferings that we're supposed to rejoice in because the sufferings produce endurance and the endurance produces character and character produces hope. And the hope comes from the fact that we can look at what God has done in our lives. Right? I want you to imagine this. So you were excited. If you remember, we're going back to sitting there reading this originally, this letter coming from Paul, and you're excited because Paul's like, I'm encouraging you. You guys are doing awesome. Here's all the bad things going on and what you were. And you're like, oh. And then he's like, wait, wait, wait. But because of your faith, because of your faith, you get justified. And because of your justification, you have access to God through peace and his glory. And because of that, because of that, as you walk through this life, there's going to be suffering. There was great persecution in the early church. I don't think in my lifetime I will ever see anything like that in my own self. I'm not going to say I hope not, because honestly, churches grow when they're persecuted. But what he's saying is this. You're going to walk through life and there's going to be sufferings. And that's okay because those sufferings are going to produce endurance or patience to deal with it. And that patience is going to lead to proof. Proof that the hope you have in Jesus Christ is real. That as you go out and share the gospel with someone, you're not just saying to them just these words. You're saying, look what's happened in my own life. Look what's happened in my own life. One of the hardest things I ever heard, and like it, it kind of broke me for a moment, was I went home, uh, and one of the things when I'm like on vacation, a.k.a. we like visit our family, uh, is I like to sit on the couch and do nothing. All right? Now it's a little harder with a kid, but I like to sit on the couch and just watch a movie or watch TV or whatever, and just I don't want to talk to anyone. Is want to rest. And I remember doing this, all right? Like, I talked to my mom for a few minutes. I went and sat on the couch. I just was watching TV. And I remember coming back into the kitchen, and we were having this conversation. And my mom said, man, it's great. You haven't changed a bit. And I was like, what? And, and there was this part of me that was like, man, am I not, am I not serving God? Have I not grown? Has, has what Christ done not changed me? And then I began to think about it. I began to think of all of what God has done in my life and the character that I've developed, and I went, I have hope because of what Christ has done, and I've seen it come out of my life. And so you, you go out to share the gospel. You know, you go out to talk to your neighbor about Jesus or anyone, and it's not something that's stale 
and dry. It's you getting the opportunity to say, man, look what God has done in my life. Look at this hope I have. So it brings us back to my original question. How could we, knowing what sin is and what it does and how it separates us from God, how can we walk the way we do as Christians? How can we deal with life and handle life knowing that? Because if you don't, if you deny that, if you just outright deny God and deny sin and all those things, life looks okay. If you say, I don't want to deal with all that, I'm just going to sit over here. But as Christians, we walk up to front of sin and we say, we have to deal with this, we have to repent from this, we have to turn from this. So how can we deal with that in our lives? And I say we can deal with that because of what Paul is talking about here. We've been justified in our faith, not because of anything we could do or anything we could ever do or anything we could try to do. We've been justified because the God we made ourselves at war with in our rebellion or sin had set up a plan from creation to send his son to God, die on the cross, to rise from the dead, to justify those who have faith. So I want you to imagine, because we're in the Easter season, and I hope you're thinking about it, because as we celebrate, we get to celebrate Christ's sufferings. And I know that's a hard thing to think about, but Christ was doing these things out of love for us. And so as we think about him going to the cross and him hanging on the cross and him suffering and being whipped and mocked and beaten, and as he's up there on the cross, he does this with pure joy because he is taking our place. Because he is justifying all, that, all of those that have faith in him. And because of that, because of that, you and I can have joy in our trials and rejoice in our suffering and we can have peace with God. And so anytime I get asked that question, I love getting asked that question because I'm like, let me share what God has done in my life. Let me share what Jesus has done to change me when, he's walk, when I've been given the chance to walk with him. Peace gives us hope in the ultimate assurance of our faith. That as we walk through life, we have a complete, unwavering hope because of God's righteousness and His promises poured out upon us. And here's the best part. All right, he, he doesn't just... Christ sits in the upper room and He's talking to His disciples and He's telling them He's going to leave them. And that's scary, right? Like, they've been following you, you're telling us that you're the this coming king, this Messiah, and you're about to ditch out on us? What's, what's that about? And he prepares them for the future. You know, I'm going to make a place for you. And I'm preparing you for that. And in the midst of the upper room discourse, he says, I'm going to leave you with a helper. And Paul talks about there here in verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame. What we hope for, what we, what we have in Jesus, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We can, we can walk in hope because God didn't abandon us. 
Jesus didn't abandon his disciples. He left them with a helper. He left them with the Holy Spirit. He left them with God. And so as we walk in a relationship with Christ, we're not doing this on our own. And I'm not just talking about the fact that God is in control of every situation and Jesus loves us. I'm talking about the very fact that we were, as we are saved, as we put our faith in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, we are given, poured out upon the Holy Spirit to walk with us. We're not alone in this. So I encourage you today to rejoice and celebrate. Uh, what an amazing gift God gave us in Christ. And rejoice in those hard moments. Because in those moments, God is shaping you and preparing you and walking with you. And He's giving us eternal hope as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank You Thank you for the opportunity to tell you this passage of Scripture, Lord. And I know that maybe it's, it could stir up a lot of the different emotions and challenges and thoughts, Lord. But my hope is not that we are overwhelmed, but that we are celebratory. That what you've done is so great and so awesome and so amazing that we just walk around excited in jubilation of what you've done that we want to share that, we want to tell others, we want to scream it from our rooftops. That you have granted us peace and hope and your glory because of what Christ has done. And so, Father, we just thank you. Father, I pray that you be with the hearts of the people this morning as they walk out as they go about their days, as they go about life, that they be encouraged by your word, encouraged about peace and hope, rejoicing in sufferings because of what comes out of it. It ultimately ends in hope again. So God, we just thank you for all that you've done, all that you continue to do in our lives. And Father, we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.